Yep. Give me a nod yeah, when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. Everybody, this is Frank Gal. I'm joined today by Matt Gunlock and Chris Scott. We're sitting inside Alex Go King's living room. This is yeah. a bit of a different uh, episode today. We are going to be doing a retrospective on uh, Matt's 20-year career in the Marine Corps. Earlier today, we attended his retirement ceremony. It was a beautiful ceremony, big, uh, big showing. Uh, I was at the Marine Corps Museum. And uh, that ceremony does a lot to encapsulate 20 years of service. However, we did want to do a deep dive into some of the lessons that Matt has learned over his years of service. So this episode will kind of serve as a capstone of that. So I'll start it off, and myself and Chris are going to be asking the questions back and forth. Matt, could you give some advice to individuals at these particular points in the Marine Corps career? A newly promoted NCO, a newly promoted staff NCO, and a fresh lieutenant to the fleet. All right, so for the newly promoted NCOs, don't change who you are just because you pick up rank. You know, whenever, you know, think back to when you were a junior Marine, whether it was Private PFC Lance Corporal, you know, and look at how your NCOs treated you. You know, there's the shitbag NCOs, and then there's really good uh, NCOs. Kind of look at it in terms of who do you want to emulate the most and set that as an example. Be that example. Emulate what they emulated for you. Um, you know, you don't have to change who you are. Whenever I got promoted to corporal, it was it, it was Iraq two thousand five, and you know, my squad leader at the time. Not that he was a bad guy, but he's like, "Oh, you're a corporal now. You need to be a bulldog. You have, you know, you have to change your perspective." I tried it. It wasn't me. You know, I I felt like I was making an ass out of myself more than anything else and then I kind of just came into my own and figured out what worked for me um, for the newly promoted staff and CO uh, you know you made it uh, in a sense but it's not time to coast uh, it's time it's time to put in that work um, typically you know I'm an infantry guy as everybody knows um, you know that's that's that first chance that you have into really developing that officer that's going to be assigned to you, you have, you know, that's an honor, you know, in, in terms of people on the outside, they don't have, they, they don't have the opportunity to develop anybody. You are in a unique position to where you can bring somebody that's brand new into your platoon and you can mold him into the person that, into the leader that you want to have lead you. Um, and then take care of your Marines, you know, 
just because you pick up, you know, staff sergeant, it doesn't mean that anything changes. You know, you still have all the qualities that it took to get you there. So you need to you need to build upon those qualities. Uh, look at the lessons learned. You know, what really helped me is I would look at the other staff NCOs and, you know, even growing up throughout my entire career in the Marine Corps, it, it was kind of, you know, I pick and chose what I liked, the qualities I liked from each and every one of them. Um, and that's, that's, how, that's how I developed as a leader. Um, you know, I had some leaders that were micromanagers. And, you know, let's be real. Everybody hates a micromanager. You know, whenever I was a platoon sergeant, I told my squad leaders, hey, this is, this, this is my intent. This is what has to get accomplished. We have to do this today. Um, but I wouldn't tell them how to do that. And by not telling them how to do that, it allowed them to grow and allowed them to figure things out for themselves. And, and that's what that's what being a newly promoted staff and CEO is all about. It's about figuring things, figuring out what works for you. For that lieutenant, you're young, you're new. Uh, you should be attached at the hip with your platoon sergeant. You should listen to everything that they have to say. I'm not saying every staff and CEO is perfect. There's plenty of shitbag staff and CEOs out there, but if you if you have good judgment and character, you know you, you know you're not going to be the only officer there, and there, that's not going to be the only staff and CEO in your company. But you can generally look and see who's squared away and who's not, who can do the job and who just sucks at it, you know, and just kind of, you know. Find that balance of what's going to work for you, you know. You, you really got to, you, you really have to, you know, that, that person in the Marine Corps, it's really, it's really special thing because you have, as a, as a young lieutenant, you have somebody that's sole purpose in life is to just develop you as a person and take advantage of that because you may not have that, you know, if you get out, you're not going to have somebody there to do that, you know, so take that opportunity now to, to learn to be developed. Yeah, I, I think what, something important you mentioned during that was um, for your new NCOs, not to like change who you are fundamentally, um, to try new things, and you said that a certain, certain uh, style of leadership didn't work for you, and so you reverted to something else. Um, the reason I asked this question was at every single, it's a pivotal moment in a lot of careers. Um, you're stepping into new responsibilities and it's okay to experiment with different things and it's better to experiment and fail a little bit and there's a little bit of failure associated with each of these ranks before cementing the kind of leader that you're going to end up being and sticking to something that perhaps doesn't work in the long term. So thanks for that. Thanks for that answer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you kind of obviously talked about some of the um, qualities that a staff NCO should have or a lieutenant should have, um, but what are some of the characteristics of the best officer uh, staff NCO work working relationship they've had during your time in the Marine Corps? Alright, so I'll start out with saying quite honestly, my favorite rank in the Marine Corps was a staff, being a staff sergeant. Um, it, to me, being a platoon sergeant in the infantry meant everything. 
and and the reason that is is it's the first time you you really you can take a platoon of marines and you can mold every single one of those marines how you want them to be molded um, whenever I was a platoon sergeant with 1st Battalion 8th Marines I had uh, my platoon commander was Lieutenant White um, and we essentially made every decision together you know if we disagreed with something nobody knew about those disagreements when we presented something uh, whenever we told Marines we need to get this done it wasn't hey the lieutenant said we have to get this done so get it done it was like hey we need to get this done now. It, it was it, it was a true relationship where there wasn't a he said, she said, we have to do this. It was, go do this now. We decided this. Even if I disagreed with something, but, you know, he still told me, hey, we got to do it. It was we, not I, not he, we. And, and you really got to... Uh, look at it in those terms um, and we always you know we always weighed pros and cons and you know we were a united front we were capable of criticizing each other and really holding each other accountable without offending each other in the mornings we would PT together we let our squads do their own thing and every Friday we would tag along with the squad or hold platoon PT and, and ultimately you know at the end of the day our goal wasn't just to make capable war fighters. Our goal was to return capable young men back to society if they chose to get out. Like, you know, kind of like, you know, make, give a better product than what you, you received. That was, that was our, our, our sole purpose. Like, make upstanding citizens of the United States. You know, make patriotic Americans. Make people who love this country and you know, want to serve and were honored to serve. That's, that's, that was our goal. Um, I mean, quite honestly, you know, the other staff and seal officer pair that was uh, a pleasure was with you, sir, you know, Captain Scott, you know, you know, you, Raider and I worked together on everything. And we wanted to create a program in the Marine Corps that would truly make a difference. You know, you spent and I spent a lot of time on the road and discussed all sorts of things. We could have di we could have disagreements and still carry on as if nothing happened. We would bounce things off each other all the time, even at night. You know, hey, I got this idea. You know, it, it, yeah, I know I can get annoying at times, but it's like <laughs> I just had to get it out. Um, and I could honestly say I was overly persistent at times. And, and you'd say and you'd say no then I'd come back and you'd still say no then because who I am I would do it again but not once did you hold it against me and and usually you know whenever I did it you know it's like I'll, I'll bring out an example you know uh, I wanted to create the USPSA team but in your mind you didn't think that it at first it would never get approved mm -hmm. and I just proposed the idea I didn't come up with up to you with any kind of hard data facts budget nothing but then i was like and i i kept bothering you but then i came with came at you with i was like if we do this this is how much it saves this is what we can accomplish um this is how we can make it work and we're like 
let's present it to Major O'Driscoll. And we presented it as a, you know, officer, staff, and CO together. And he was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that's a beautiful thing, you know. You know, even though you would say no and I would keep coming, you know, at the end of the day, we were able to achieve something. Well, there are uh, plenty of times, too, where you just exercise very good initiative without asking. That, too. <laughs> <laughs> that would <laughs> that work out also. Yeah. <laughs> Operating within the gray. Nice. Um, what are some particular duty stations, deployments, and we already talked about relationships, but we can talk about some more uh, that you consider pivotal to who you are today. All right. Um, quite honestly, the... The first one, it's probably had the most impact on my life, uh, Iraq 2005. Uh, it was my baptism in the combat, as I'll, I guess I'll call it. Uh, and there are so many things that just stick out of my mind uh, to this day, from losing Larry Philippon to seeing other friends wounded, to clearing house to house for weeks on end, city after city. Um, it was, a, it, it, you know, that deployment, it, you know, it, I still think, of it every day you know um and larry's parents are like family to me they took the entire platoon and we're all family um and that's that's something special they could have held grudges uh, against but they're quite honestly the most patriotic and, and and wonderful americans i've ever met uh they are the strongest family i have ever met um and you know that deployment it sucked in so many ways but I miss it in so many ways because you'll never be as close to the as close to anybody as you are out there and, and I there are times I really miss that aspect um, so another place that really that really made an uh, impact on me was Bahrain you know, it wasn't a deployment. It was more like being stationed. Uh, you know, I was stationed over there at the MEB headquarters. You know, it was my first taste of being in a command with senior leadership. And by senior leadership, I'm talking, you know, there was, you know, officers, you know, or let me, let me put it like this. Uh, staff NCOs and NCOs were comparable to, you know, Lance Corporals and sergeants. Like, a staff sergeant is is pretty much like a lance corporal or a sergeant. I mean, they don't treat us like that, but, like, there's there's really no junior marines. It's a top-heavy command. You have nothing but, like, majors, lieutenant colonels, and, colonels, and you have a commanding general. Um, so, I was maybe one of ten infantry guys out there, but I, I it gave me an opportunity to really see the big picture, you know, see the strategic level you know, see the strategic go into the operational and carry on into the tactical level. It was the first opportunity I really had to see how operation, you know, an operational command like that worked. Um, you know, I, I'd say I networked relentlessly, as, you know, Captain <laughs> Scott uh, knows me for. Uh, and I served in his vi- as an advisor with the Joint Special Operations Task Force Arabian Peninsula. I served as an LNO, a uh, liaison officer to the, the Combined Joint Task Force Horn of Africa in Djibouti, Africa. Um, 
and I had to learn how to build relationships in order to get stuff done with nothing to offer in return because that's what the mission demanded it of me. You know, it you know, I'm a you know when I was in Djibouti, you know, I I had nothing to give. I'm just there as a person who is passing information from my command to CJTF HOA. Uh, that's all I was there for. Um, but there are times I had to get stuff done. What could I do for them? Nothing. But I had to get it done. So you, I had to really work, you know, learn how to build relationships um, and be genuine about it. Uh, in order to accomplish those goals, because at the end of the day, my command doesn't want to hear that I didn't do, the, I didn't get the job done. They they want to hear that, hey, I got I got that shit done. Um, so yeah. Nice. Um. Yeah, and that's um what what you just talked about. That's actually a big part of staff officership, right? You're responsible for your very specific component of the commands. Um, but you're still responsible to your commander for mission accomplishment. So I learned a lot of those lessons being the lone communications officer. Um, I actually thought I have another question. So during your retirement ceremony today, um, the, you had an address from George Bush as part of the, one of the letters that was written out. Yep. And it occurs to me, like, there's a lot of ways to slice up 20 years, right? Uh, the number of presidents that you've served on, under, how technology has changed, current events, a lot of different things. What are some ways that the Marine Corps has changed since you first joined? I know that's a loaded question, but I could always come back to it. Um, so this is what I'm going to say about that. Um, the Marine Corps hasn't changed. It, it truly hasn't. Just my scope and my view has changed. Um, Marines are still, you know, junior Marines are going to still do the same stupid shit I used to do when I was a young Marine. Um, that's not going to change. The NCOs and the staff NCOs are still going to do the same things, take care of Marines. Um, nothing changes. Everybody thinks just because, you know, time has gone on, that not, that's not my Marine Corps. This isn't how it was when I was in the Marine Corps. It's the same damn Marine Corps. Nothing has changed. Um, the only thing is that's changed is you picked up rank and you're seeing things from through a different lens. Or you're holding on to what used to be and you refuse to change with the times. Correct. Rose colored glasses too, looking at the past. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're not going to talk about that. But, uh, Chris, over to you. Okay, uh, what do you consider the most difficult or trying point of your career and how did you overcome it? How did it change you as a Marine, a leader, and a person? And what advice would you give to somebody going through a similar situation? All right. Um, I was honest, I'm just going to come out with it. Uh, the past two years have been very trying for me. Um, you know, I had a very, I don't want to say a toxic relationship with my senior leader, um, but what I did to get through it was remain professional at all times. And there are times I really screwed that up too. Um, I should have made corrections when I didn't. Um, I, I'm guilty of that. We were both in that together, though. And we, we were. Yeah. But and and during the time we were like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna let this one go, and you know that way that person sees uh, exactly what happens because 
at that moment in time, we were kind of like, he needs to see how everybody feels about him. Uh, is that the right approach? Yes and no. Um, but, you know, it, it was a very trying time for me. You know, I, I would say, you know, even the past four months, there were emotional roller coasters going on. Um, but, you know, one of the things that really helped is I, I have a mentor, uh, Sergeant Major Chris Singley. And he told, you know, he said something that really resonated with me. And he's like, sometimes you're just going to have bosses that you don't get along with and they're not going to like you. But you owe it to yourself and to those Marines to continue doing your job professionally without a bias. And so when he told me that, I was like, okay, I'm still going to try and get all this stuff accomplished. I'm still going to have my opinions about what's going on. But. You know, at the end of the day, I got to take care of the Marines. And, and, and during this situation, that's where I put my main focus. I was like, well, I may not like him, and we may not agree on a lot of things, but there's one thing I can do that's going to, you know, that that is going to happen. And it's I'm going to shield these Marines, and I'm going to take care of them. And that's where my the main focus for me was, the Marines. Yeah, I think you and I had similar realizations. I, I worked for a company commander as a young lieutenant. Um, and if you had asked me when I was working for that individual whether or not I planned on accepting career designation, I would have straight up said no. So um, <laughs> just uh, a little bit of a personal question. But was it during that time that you decided that 20 years was it for you? It was, actually. Okay. And I think that's one of the side effects of working for someone like that. Um, I still think... As unfortunate as it is, there is a lot to be learned from those kinds of individuals in terms of what not to do. Mm -hmm. um, I had the realization that, you know, it, it took me a while. I was literally in the desert in Yuma watching my staff bicker with each other when I realized, like, I'm not doing my job. I need to stand as a screen between this individual and my staff. If I'm not there, then I'm just letting it affect them and their ability to do their jobs. Um, actually, it's me to my next question. So, um, Anybody that goes 20 years in the Marine Corps, I've never trusted the individuals to tell me they're going to do 20 right off the bat because mm -hmm. I don't think that's a feasible mindset. 20 years is a long time. I almost got out at 15 years. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you, if you ask me right now, like it's something I'm going to have to deal with within the next five years. Um, I don't time, even if I'm on the back end of 20 years, I still refuse to like tether myself to it just because of benefits or whatever. But you did leave the Marine Corps at one point in your career. What were the reasons behind you leaving at that point in your life, and what called you back in? All right, so I left the Marine Corps in June of 2006. Um, you know, and whenever... I'll even go further back. So, um, you know, I came in the Marine Corps four days after I graduated high school. I have no life experience. The Marine Corps is the only thing I really knew other than high school up to that point. Um, so I wanted to see kind of what freedom was like, you know, see what life was like on the outside. Um, and, you know, I, I came back in in January of 2007, so there really wasn't much time that I was out. Um, and, you know, even at the time I knew that there was going to be a chance that I'd come back in, so I joined the reserve unit. And after, after having, I guess you could say, my short fill of freedom, I realized that it was time to make my way back in. 
Um, you know, another aspect of why I came back in is I had guys that I'd served with on my previous deployment to Iraq that were back in Iraq, mm-hmm. and they were not having a good time. You know, we they they had lost a lot of good Marines during that deployment, and it the what got me is I felt like I failed them. I felt like I abandoned them. Um, you know, I felt like it was my fault. Um, and it, it, it wasn't, you know, war is war. But I truly missed the connection that I had with those Marines, and I wanted to get back to something like that. And and so, you know, that's why that's why I came back in. You know, I, 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 I love the Marines. Um, I love the mission. And I wanted to get back to it. Follow-up question. Uh, speaking as a former dirty reservist, did joining the reserves and seeing how nasty everyone was there inspire your return to active duty? You're talking to a current dirty reservist also right now. So <laughs> this, this entire podcast is tainted. Um, so, honestly, I never did a drill weekend with them in my life. Um, I, you know, I joined an, uh, an artillery battery out of Richmond, Virginia. Um you know, I was living in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, I did the whole EAD recruiter thing. Like, so I was a reservist that was kind of an active reservist at the time, but for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I was working out of the recruiting station. The only reason why I learned that about, learned about that is like the 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 station chief, um, you know, Staff Sergeant Arnold at the time. He, he tried convincing me to go that route and went as far as, like, the sergeant major, you know, getting me a school seat at recruiting school. And I was like, oh, this will be cool. And then I went out, out there, you know, on the streets, you know, as, you know, you know, it's it's basically recruiter's assistance up until you go to, go to the school. But I was like, this shit fucking sucks. <laughs> and, and I was like, I want nothing to do with this. And I was like, I need to get back to active duty. Um, so I never really had any time in the reserves, if you really think about it. I never drilled with them. I did the rec- I, I, I was I was like on recruiting duty basically, and I hated life. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about recruiting, and there's a lot of tough billets in the Marine Corps. Most of the time, guys will say, "I did it. I survived it. I'm glad I did it. It made me stronger." No one's ever said that to me about recruiting. So, <laughs> to any of you who are thinking of going recruiting, just uh, take that take that as a uh, warning sign. Did that uh, help you develop some of your ability to build relationships, or is that something that you've always had, or is it something you developed? Um, I'll be honest with you that it didn't help me build relationships. Um, honestly, it really didn't. I didn't really learn how to build relationships until I read the book uh, Outliers uh, mm-hmm. by Malcolm Gladwell. You know, I, I you know I can make friends, all that kind of stuff. Um, I was really, I used to be a really big introvert, to be honest with you. You know, I didn't want to have relationships. Uh, I I just, you know, I wanted to be with my family. Um, I, I making friends wasn't a priority, um, and part of the reason why, and I think I I it was a failure on my part in this sense. Um, is I had lost, you know, you know, lost friends in Iraq. Um, friends got wounded. I didn't want to get have any close connections with anybody, so I didn't want to have really any friends. And I think that that was the wrong choice. 
you know, at the time that that was just that was my mindset. Um, and then when I was a staff sergeant, I read the book Outliers, um, and you know, essentially the book is you know how successful people surround themselves with other successful people, uh, and number one thing that they do is you know, they network, and when they network, they are genuine about those networking, you know, uh, they will, they will send letters to each other, you know, thank you cards, they, they, they will do acts of appreciation, um, and that's, when I read that book, you know, Blink was another really good one, like, let's just be really honest, Malcolm Gladwell is a phenomenal author, and brings in some really good insight, and, those books really developed me um, and, and really called to me and that's that's kind of how I, I started developing relationships um, and then it continued whenever I was in in Bahrain um, and you know well let it, as a platoon sergeant you know going to Israel going to Bulgaria uh, going to you know being in Romania I still talk to you know the foreign nationals that I met over there, I, w I still keep in contact with some of them, and they're great people. Uh, it really sucked whenever I had to do my, you know, investigation for my security <laughs> clearance again. Uh, but you know, uh, they're good people. Um, went out to Bahrain, and you know, really networked on the military side. You know, and I'll, I'll bring an example of how it really helped the team on the military side. Um, Lance Corporal Cardenas. Uh, he was stationed over in Okinawa. Uh, Marine Corps Championships came in. He was a phenomenal shooter. We wanted to bring him as a summer shooter. And we were having a hard time getting in contact with his command. Uh, you know, it, it was a 96. I think that's what it was. Or, or the weekend had already started. So nobody was going to be answering the email, uh, their emails. And I was like, I was like, hey, Cardenas, who's your com uh, CO? He, he, or I was like, what unit are you with? He's like, 7th Com. I was like, oh, I know your CO, Lieutenant Colonel Ladd. I was like, give me a second. I just, I called Lieutenant Colonel Ladd on FaceTime Messenger. Huh. And I was just like, hey, man. I was, or, hey, sir. <laughs> I was like, hey, I have Lance Corporal Cardenas here. He's a phenomenal shooter. I want to keep him for the summer. I can't, uh, I, you know, typically I would be doing this over email and everything, but I understand it's the weekend already over there in Okinawa. Can I just get a verbal from you that he can stay over the summer? He's like, absolutely. Like, keep him. Uh, and, and we got to keep him. Um, it's being genuine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something you become very good at. Uh, and it does feel genuine from you, and it I think a lot of people feel very uh, important to you, which we saw today also. Uh, so our next question here, uh, what are some important lessons you've learned about taking care of your Marines uh, in regards to awards, work-life balance, professional development? What do you do when you feel like the level of attention you give to taking care of others isn't necessarily reciprocated for yourself? Um, so... I'm gonna have to look at this sheet. Which question is it on here? It's, uh, that one. Okay. Um, 
taking care of Marines isn't just about, uh, it's not about giving them exactly what they want. Um, it's about giving them the training that they need. Um, I'll kind of go into an example. Um, when I was in 1-8, um, we, we were on ship for three or four days, something like that. Got off ship, you know, climate controlled, AC, all that kind of stuff. You know, Marines getting soft, if you want to call it. Like, we were just living comfortably on the ship. Uh, we took helos off and, and landed, you know, into an LZ, you know, in North Carolina. And it's summertime. It's fucking hot. It's humid. And we go into, uh, like, attacks. Um, and Marines are going down. Like, it, you know black flag conditions all that kind of stuff marines are going down hard i almost went down like i was i was legitimately hurting i i fucking hate the heat i hate the heat more than anything else i love cold weather um and so they you know we were supposed to do like a 20k hike or something like that just a really long miserable hike back to the the battalion area uh, after all this training is is over and they ended up calling it off and so when I went to go you know talk to my platoon and let them know I was like hey gents I just wanted to let you know uh, the, the hike has been cancelled they immediately the, the whole platoon started cheering and, and like just acting like fools and I fucking lost it on them like you know uh, nobody here at the team has really seen me lose control. Um, I wouldn't even say I'd lost control. I was just, I was fucking pissed. Because, you know, even though I was hurting, I wasn't going to let the fact that I was hurting and I was, you know, about to go down for a heat case myself, I wasn't going to let that get in the way that training is training. And, and I told those Marines, I was like, you should be ashamed of yourself right now. You know, when I went to Iraq in 2005, I didn't have the type of training that you guys had to had are getting now. You know, Larry Philippon, you know, would still, could potentially still be alive now if he had that type of training. You know, I was blunt, I was honest, I was direct. And as a leader, you, you know, you, you have, that is another form of taking care of Marines. You have to be honest and you have to be direct. Um, when it comes to the awards and the work-life balance, I was like, um, Awards matter. Taking care of your Marines matter. Um, you know, often, you know, the Marine Corps is really bad about uh, writing awards, approving awards, and I think a lot of it can come down to some people. They're, you know, they didn't get an award whenever they left a previous unit or something like that, so they're, they're they have a grudge now. Um, I'll be the first one to tell you, like, I didn't get you know, I'm a grunt. I didn't, we didn't, we don't give awards out really at all. And if you do get awards, it's, you know, at, at times it's like a popularity contest. Um, but I never let that get in the way of, you know, hey, sir, we just got done with the deployment. Our squad leaders deserve to be written up. It's nothing to give them a name. It's like, we need to take care of them. Um, so that you know and it, it was the same on the team you know me 
you, you ca- uh, Captain Scott, Chris, um, you know, and Raider were the ones writing the awards for the junior Marines. You know, we look at everything that they accomplished, and no matter what, they did a phenomenal job. Like, every single person on that team, like, they... I consider them to be almost the top 1% of the Marine Corps. You know, they are they are masters of their craft. So why are we letting them leave with nothing? They are the most passionate individuals I've ever met in my career. Like, the amount of drive, the amount of focus, like, they deserve something. And you have, it's your duty to take care of them in that sense. Um, You know, uh, the part about what do you do when you feel the level of attention you give to taking care of others isn't necessarily reciprocated for yourself. Um, It's frustrating. It it really is. Um, You know, you don't bitch down, you bitch up. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't say I bitched up. I just vented my frustration and my concerns to the parties. Um... Or I'd vent to people like Frank, you, Chris, um, and, and and that's how it'd carry on. You know, you don't let them, don't don't motherfuck the leadership in front of the junior Marines. You know, find that trusted person that that you can vent to, and, and let them know what you're going through. You shouldn't ever hold anything in. You know, holding stuff in is not healthy. Uh, venting is a natural occurrence you know you have to you have to trust somebody to with the information that's bothering you very well said so as you're getting ready to enter the uh, civilian sector you told me that you're proud of what you accomplished in the marine corps but you also know that there are bigger and better things ahead for you why is that mindset so important to you as you transition into the civilian world and do you think that's an important perspective for any service member, regardless of whether they're at 20 years or one enlistment, to have as they depart the service and start a new life? So, when I was, you know, when I was a young Marine, when I was a corporal, you know, even at times when I was a sergeant, I didn't know what it was to really set goals. You know, what are your goals? What goals do you have? I don't fucking know. You know, um, I, you know, it just, it never really occurred to me. As a you know, as I've gained uh, more experiences, uh, I've had the opportunity to develop more Marines. As I've gone through life, I really realized that you have to set realistic expectations for what you want to accomplish. You have to set, uh, put processes in place in order to accomplish what you want to achieve. And, you know, getting out of the Marine Corps, like, that's, that's, there's a number of processes in place that you have to put in place in order to be successful. Um, to me, I, I want to have a meaningful career after I get out. I want to, I, I want to offer, you know, another company, you know, everything I gave the Marine Corps. I want to still be able to develop people. I still want to be able to lead people. Um, if I don't have that opportunity, I'm going to go crazy. Um, You can't just, you know, those individuals who just get out and just sit around and do nothing, they, you know, 
they, they move on through life without, you know, accomplishing anything ever again. Like, how far do they really make it after they get out? Um, you know, they go stir crazy. They start thinking about what they had. Um, they start, you know, thinking, I should have never gotten out. You know, find something you're passionate about. Find something you really want to do. Um, I have to do that so I can take care of my family. Um, I can't just go out and do anything. You know, my happiness is my family's happiness. Yeah, absolutely. And your wife would go crazy if you were just sitting around oh, all day. Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> Getting into conspiracy <laughs> theories. Uh yeah. Come, yeah. Comedy on the shooting team's face. Comedy on the shooting team's <laughs> fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, young officer, <laughs> you need to give me a call right now. If I ever see you hanging out at the PX, if I ever see you hanging out at the PX correcting people, I'll come corral you, Matt. Yeah, um, fuck that. <laughs> I think I think that's important. So when I tell the conversation I usually have with Marines are about to get out is, or just any just life um, advice in general is. The person you are, the family man, the individual, your hobbies, that's all that's going to be left at some point. Because at some point, the Marine Corps is going to tell you to go. Whether you're a general officer, gunny, lance corporal, like at some point, the Marine Corps will exist without us. So it's important that you're comfortable with who you are and that you can stand on your own and that you have other things outside of the Marine Corps. Um, Because you're not going to be in as an 80-year-old. It's just not going to happen. So I thought that was very well said. Thank you. So this next question is the sweet and sour question. Uh, can you go into one instance in your career where being diplomatic achieved the best results and another where being aggressive yielded the best effect? Do you consider balance of both, be, both approaches being an important facet of leadership in the workforce? So, yes, I, can, I consider there, there has to be a balance. Um, if you're overly aggressive, people are just going to stop paying attention to you. Um, but if all you are is diplomatic, um, you're never going to achieve the results. By being aggressive, it shows what you care about. By being diplomatic, shows that you're willing to be a team player. Um, and I'll I'll give you I'll start with give you an example where I had to be in a, be aggressive and I could have gotten in a lot of trouble myself uh, for as gre- as aggressive as I was so I had this young marine you know PFC Walker he had just got an NJP'd um, and came out of the NJP and I told him I was like hey Walker clock has reset you know clean slate we're starting back at square one do not screw up you know uh, I'm going to treat you like I treat every other Marine. Um, just do the right thing. That's all I ask. And he, at the time, he was progressing in the right direction, I'd say. Um, well, we had a health and comfort inspection at the barracks. And, you know, I'm going through the barracks and everything. And I guess our first sergeant at the time had the NCOs, you know, doing health and comfort on the vehicles, like in their trunks and all that. And... You know, let's not talk about the legalities of that because that's not legal. You know, you have to get approval for something like that or there Mm -hmm. has to be reasonable doubt, I would assume. You're you're the cop there, you know, Yeah, I don't want to be put on record of legal (laughs) advice or anything, but sounds suspect. 
Um, <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I have a sergeant coming up to me. He's like, hey, uh, he's he Staff Sergeant Gunlock. Um, first Sergeant wants to see you. I was like, for what? I was like, well, you know, we found a, a 9 millimeter round in, in the back of Walker's, you know, in, in Walker's trunk. I was like, okay, he found a, a 9 mil round in his trunk. Who cares? He's like, well, first Sergeant wants to see you. He, he said, you know, I was like, He's like he said something about you know you riding a sixty one oh five on on Walker. I was just like, okay, hey, you know, go back to doing whatever you were doing. I'll, I'll go take care of this. So I walked over to First Sergeant's office, you know, and, and the First Sergeant, you know, looks at me. He's like, you know what I want you to do, right? I was like, what? Ride a sixty one oh five on Walker? He's like, exactly. I was like, well, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm not doing it. He's like, I'm gonna pretend you just didn't say that. I was like, well, then I'll say it much clearer. I am not writing a 6105 on PFC Walker. He's like, excuse me? I was like, go search my vehicle right now. Go see how many 9mm, 5.56, and shotgun shells are rolling on the floorboard of my fucking truck right now. He's like, well, well that, that that's not the point. You got to look at the type of Marine that Walker is. I was like, no, he didn't do anything fucking wrong. I was like, I was like, I can go to the PX right now and buy as much fucking ammo as I want and keep it in my vehicle, and I'm not doing a damn thing wrong. I was like, you're just targeting Walker because you don't like him, and you're trying to create some paperwork in order to get him kicked out of the Marine Corps, and I'm not going to have any hand to play in that. So, I'm done. I was like, I'm not writing that 6105, and I walked out of the office. Nothing came of it, you know. And that's an instance where, like, that's taking care of your Marines. You know, standing up for them, even if it's somebody above you. You know, being willing to suffer the repercussions, you know, for your Marines. You know, you have to be able to fight those battles. Um, And your Marines will notice. Your Marines will see and your Marines will, they will want to be led by you when you set that example for them. Um, diplomatic. Uh, I kind of already covered this. You know, I think I was very diplomatic whenever it came to, um, you know, creating the USPSA team. You know, we, you know, I knew I had a vision. I had a goal. I went about. You know, we wanted to, there to be something we accomplished, um, and it started out as. Hey, after the pistol team, you know, is done with their bullseye season, they're going to go into USPSA. And then, hey, we're going to just start a USPSA team. Hey, you know what? There's going to be no Camp Perry this year. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just start a USPSA team. And, you know, and it, it took a lot of work. And, I, you know, we had to be very careful. We had to be very diplomatic. Um and diplomatic with the Marines because there's some Marines like you know younger Marines on the team that were very passionate about bullseye and you didn't want to just bash it in front of them and, and talk shit in front of them um, yeah, I'll say it now and, and the Marines knew no I hate bullseye I suck at bullseye I am not good at bullseye um, but I was out there with every single day with them training with them and I didn't let them know you know uh, it was really funny because uh, you know 
after I did this, you know, after I helped make the change of, you know, Bullseye into USPSA, I, I called Mark Yackley up and I told him, he was just like, you did what? He's like, dude, I thought you were a Bullseye convert for a while there. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, I played the game. I really did. Uh, but I knew, I knew I had to do that for the Marines because when they were competing at Perry, you know, that mattered to them and I had and I I honestly did care about the outcomes and I cared about their performance and I cared about you know their their emotions that go into it because it is an emotional sport so you have to be very diplomatic with what you put out there in front of them yeah very well said um I think another instance in which the both of you were very diplomatic uh 2021 Nick McEast so <laughs> there was no way that that particular mic went according to how you all planned it. But you all, I could tell you guys were pissed, but you didn't let it affect the quality of the training that we as Marines got, these participants that went to Mick East. Um, I was fuming the entire time because I knew what competitions are supposed to look like. I knew damn well that wasn't it. Um, still had a great time. Um, my Marines still enjoyed it, but I think you guys kept a very good lid on things during that and then you redeemed you redeemed all of that during championships that was a dope championships well there was a lot of uh conversations and weather effing and all that going on in Suave I'm sure oh yeah years of end of each day so yeah. that yeah that's kind of where it all came out and, and that was me, internal to the team memes are also part and, of and, mechanism. and quite honestly like I'll, I'll go into this like I got a call from our sergeant major you know and he was like hey I heard you guys are having problems out there what can I do to help? And I just told him, I was like, Sergeant Major, there's nothing you can do to help at this point. I was like, I think we've worked everything out as best as we can. I think if anybody else from up in Quantico calls down to Stone Bay, um, it's going to make things worse. I was like, let me handle this and let Captain Scott handle this on our level because if there's any more involvement it's going to make things worse for the marines like let's be real me and captain scott at one point were ready to just call it quits and leave like we we almost like we were like really close to just saying fuck it we're out of here we're not going to be treated like this but then we were like we can't do that to the marines and it was also out of spite too we didn't want them to have the satisfaction of us leaving yeah. There was definitely an aspect of that. But it was, at the end of the day, as long as you guys got some training and something out of it. It wasn't ideal or how we wanted it to be. No. Um, but <laughs> at the end of the day, people are still uh, shooting and getting some good training, even if there are yeah. a lot of road bumps and we're getting cussed out on the range. No, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm glad you guys stuck that one out. All right, this next question's uh, quite a shift in subject matter. Um, so, Matt, you and I talk on the phone a lot just about upcoming podcast uh, interviews and whatnot, and we're talking about tattoos, mm-hmm. and you talked about how you have a representation of Paradise Lost by John Milton in tattoo form. So I have to give a little bit of background here because I can't imagine a lot of listeners are familiar with uh, Milton's work. Paradise Lost is a novel that was written 50, 15- 16th century was it no paradise lost paradise lost didn't that come out in in the mid 1800s yeah yeah okay mid 1800s john milton writes a book um from the perspective of the devil 
or Satan after he is banished from heaven, right? He's a fallen angel, and it's all about him trying to recoup all these fallen angels, whatever have you, um, to go reclaim what is rightfully theirs. And what's striking about this is it was remarkably progressive for its time. Um, you think about an author writing about something like this in the 1800s, essentially the first anti-hero story, and you, it's kind of amazing that he wasn't like burned at the stake and like run out of every single house. Um, I see it as the precedence for like if you are into shows with really good anti-heroes, I would say Walter White from Breaking Bad and Tony Soprano from The Sopranos, uh, they probably wouldn't exist without Paradise Lost. So I have to ask, what got you into Milton, and why does the work resonate with you enough for you to get a tattoo of it? All right, so to answer this has a lot to do with how I was raised. You know, I used to be a devout Christian. You know, I did everything from go to church three to four times a week to Bible camp over the summer. Um, wow. I am now an atheist. And a lot has to do with the experiences I've had overseas um, to, and to also educating myself uh, with a more scientific approach. And to this day, I still respect religion, um, not the institutions of religion, but having the ability to have faith in something. Um, it, 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 it is quite honestly a beautiful thing in my mind, but I look at religion more as mythology you know, and I look at the works of Dante Alighieri and John Milton as stories that have impacted modern day civilization. A lot of the elements of Paradise Lost is taught as if it is truth from the war in heaven to Satan corrupting humankind. And a lot of it carries over in stories uh, and mythologies, uh, you know, that you see in TV shows today. Um, and I really like how Milton and Alighieri created a fantastical uh, fantastical tale that has stood the test of time, especially with the elements that the Bible never covered. You know, now to talk to the tattoo, you know, so when Paradise Lost came out in, I want to say it was like the 1850s maybe, um, you know, Gustave Doré, he was a famous French artist, and he created all sorts of illustrations. I actually have Dante, uh, you know, um, Dante's Inferno, the third edition, and that was uh, the original one. That's the third edition was in the mid eighteen hundreds, and Gustave Doré did all the the illustrations in it. And I also have a first edition of the masterpieces of Doré from the eighteen nineties. Uh, and the specific illustration I have tattooed on me is when Lucifer went into the Garden of Eden after tricking Uriel and he's looking up at the heavens leaned back on the side of a mountain with his wings outspread and it's just a wave of emotions that you can see in his face you know betrayal hatred sadness loss you know it's stuff like that that just really speak to me you know somebody that was once regarded as you know God's you know favorite angel to you know he started the war in heaven was cast cast out of heaven you know and then he comes here to earth um and you know he he wants to go back in in a sense he wants things to go back the way that they are but then he's just really twisted and very emotional um and in a way you can look at satan as you know, you look at all the other angels and they don't have freedom of choice. 
Satan was the first angel that had that freedom of choice, um, and it, and he know, instantly wanted what he used to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that you know, I I love mythology. Um, anything from Viking to to Greek, you know, I love ancient civilizations. Mm. I you know, you know, some of the podcasts I listen to, um, you know, from uh, what's it called? The Art of Manliness has a lot of ancient Greek and Roman uh, stories that they talk about. Um, and then Dan Carlin's Hardcore History goes really in-depth um, with the, the battles of ancient Greece and Persia, um, you know, to the, to the Celtic Revolution. You know, they... That type of stuff really interests me, but you know specifically to to Milton, it's just a really, like you said, a contemporary story for its time. Um, the mythology just it it, it it speaks to me. Yeah, um, I, my mind was blown when I initially read it. Uh, I fear that our listeners may have suddenly done a double take and feel like they uh, fell into a British literature podcast on accident. <laughs> when we talked about this, you were like, we got to find a way to get this into a podcast. And I was like, uh-huh. Matt, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. But now I've, I found I found a organic segue. So um, you've done a lot of reading. You know, you mm-hmm. talked about Malcolm Gladwell before I read, read a lot of his books. He's a very, you know, very good author. Um, Milton, how important has reading been to you? And then could you just name some books? that have been hugely influential to you as a person? Um, I will say over the past four years, I probably haven't done my due diligence with reading as much as I should. Um, but, you know, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I've, I've read a lot of Ben Stager books. You know, yeah. and, 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 like, to those books um, on the shooting team, like, that's – those are developing you your mindset you know match mentality you know okay let's talk to Lanny Basham you know different different style of shooting but it's still developing uh your mental you you know your mental preparations um so you know you have to exercise the brain um it's it's really important like Throughout my entire career, I always found myself reading books. Like, you know, one book I, I, I read, I think it was Combat Leadership or something like that, and it was like, what, what's his name? Uh, he was like one of those Belgium freaking generals or something like that. I can't... Mm-hmm. Uh, Clausewitz? No. I, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but it was really fucking boring. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll go to this. Um like there there's stuff there's stuff out there that just really it, it, it's mind-numbingly boring but then reading books that are presented by other leaders really speak to me you know biographies autobiographies you know uh i used to watch band of brothers the tv series all the time and i kind of fell in love with major dick winners uh, and there's a really good book out there called Beyond Band of Brothers, and it was uh, it was an autobiography written by Major Dick Winters, and I read it, and it just you know, I I looked at a lot of those lessons, you know, and a lot of what he said, and I I wanted like he inspired me to want to be a better leader. Um, you have to use literature in order to move forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, just so everyone knows, um, while Matt was talking, Alex held up a sign that basically said Theology IQ. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that with the audience uh, based on that last question. But no, thank you for your answers. I agree. Um, you learn a lot from reading, and it's hugely important. This can be kind of on the same lines as that, but maybe a little broader. Uh, how important has the pursuit of physical and intellectual hobbies been in terms of balance and personal development throughout your career? All right, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I don't know what balance is. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I go all in on something, I tend to go overboard. And I'll, I'll say this, at one point in my career... I was doing college. I was playing hockey on Friday nights, and I was shooting three guns, three gun competitions over the weekend. At the same time, I was a volunteer firefighter. Um, but every single one of those activities has played a huge part of my development. And in the end, I focused on three gun because, you know, during that time, you know, my wife told me you ha you have to make a choice. You have to choose, you know, one or two of those things, and what is it going to be? And so. You know, I kept doing the, the volunteer firefighter thing, um, and I competed in three-gun because three-gun to me was the most applicable thing to my job at the time. I put hockey back down. You know, I, I stopped doing school, you know, because I was focused more on developing my platoon, and I just, you know, was like, I, you know, I always just made the excuse, I'll just get it done at a later date. Um, but... I don't know what balance is, but my wife had helped me find that balance. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, what do you think the future of Marine Corps marksmanship holds? What needs to happen organizationally and culturally for us to get to where we need to go as a service? All right. I'm going to be blunt. Bullseye needs to go away in order for the CEP to pro progress. We can't keep holding on to the tradition, uh, on tradition for the sake of holding on. Uh, you know, we can honor those who came before us through trophies, but we need to pursue disciplines that are going to be in line with the mission and uh, commandant's guidance. You know, culturally, the, the core, the, the core already is a gun culture, but it doesn't cut deep enough. You know, I guarantee you there are individuals out there who come out to the mix and say they're competitive shooters, and they probably suck because they don't continue that growth. Like, all they know is Marine Corps Marksmanship Competition East, West, PAC, whatever. Like, and they're like, oh, yeah, I compete, but that's all they have ever done. Hmm. Um, they do nothing to con grow out of that. Uh, you know, they don't take, you know, there's people probably out there that don't go and take that information and give it back out to their Marines when they should be. Um, so... You know, th that's one area that, you know, w where we need to grow. Uh, as an organization, the Marine Corps needs to understand that the benefit, understand the benefits of practical shooting. You know, pockets of the organization already understand that, but strides need to take place at a higher level. Um, the soft community is a perfect example. You know, granted, they're a smaller community. But they allow work guns and ammo uh, to be utilized for local matches because they understand the benefit that practical shooting presents. And if you can start with one unit at a time, you have true experts of their craft. You know, um, 
it just doesn't, you know, it could be, you can go to a unit, you know, you can have your squad leaders get into competition, you can have your platoon sergeants get into competition, something like that, you know, there needs to be SMEs that understand marksmanship within the Marine Corps, you know, you know, the Marine Corps needs to start letting guns come out of the armory, ammo coming out of the ASP, and competitions to be competed in. Yeah, that's what all that stuff is there for. Mm-hmm. How do you see yourself continuing to contribute to Marine Corps marksmanship and the CAP after your retirement? Honestly, uh, through this podcast, uh, that that's the biggest that's the biggest thing I can really offer at this point. You know, it, guys can, you know, uh, the guys on the team, I'm more than you know more than willing to take phone calls from them and give them my thoughts um, if they have my thoughts, but I'm not going to be that old man on the fucking phone or on Facebook saying back in my day, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I'm not going to give un, you know, un I'm not going to give advice if it's not asked for. Like I want to see the team grow on its own, you know. I don't need to be the one to tell them you guys are fucking this up. It's not my job anymore. They need to find their own path. Well said. What are some things you've learned from shooting three gun that you wish you could impart to the Marine Corps at large? Alright, so there's five things. Mental management, mental agility, confidence, teamwork, and true proficiency. Um, you know, competition really teaches you how to focus you know, whether it's on one thing or how to build that subconscious act, um, you know, what was once a conscious uh, action into a subconscious action, and it allows you to do multiple things at the same time. Um, And it allows you to be able to focus on really just developing uh, that skill to, to greatness. Uh, mental agility you have to be able to think on the fly if you screw up how can I f- ha- how can I get back you know get back on the objective uh, how can I salvage this situation that I just put myself in uh, confidence you know there's you know there's nothing greater than going to a match and watching your guys just fucking crush it and then you yourself are crushing it uh, it builds that confidence in yourself and in the gear that you're using. You know, so if you're using your work guns, you have that confidence that whenever you go to combat, those work guns are going to work. Um, uh, teamwork. You know, we do everything as a team. When we travel, we eat as a team. We, you know, drink as a team. We compete oh, yeah. as a team. <laughs> we. You know, we are constantly thinking of ways we can improve the team. You know, this is a this is probably one of the very first places where, like, people take teamwork seriously, um, and then true proficiency. Like, and you know, I say that like you really become proficient with everything you do, but you also have the understanding that you can always become more proficient. So it's like it's a true understanding of what proficiency is, and and you're never satisfied with the level that you're at right now. What are some ways? Like those are all the the good aspects of three gun that 
can be applicable to every Marine. Uh, what are some practical ways that you see that Marines can learn those, or you can impart those on the Marines? Say that again? Yeah, it's so, not on there. I'm throwing you for a curveball, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are some, like, practical ways that you think that Marines could learn some of these aspects of three gun? Like, without going into competition or just learning it? I mean, know. it could be, like, not every Marine gets to be on the Marine Corps shooting team. Right. So how how does this trickle down to units? You know, I'd say first start, you know, that's, I don't know how to answer this, to be quite honest with you. I, I think you have answered yeah, it. Yeah, like I mean, kind of the CF. And yeah, I mean, going, you know, yeah, the CF, Marine Corps Marksmanship Competitions, Championships, you know, contacting the team. We have a Facebook page. Yeah. And we have an Instagram page. You know, reaching out to people, you know, and, you know, practice score. Um, you know, finding the events that are in your local area. You know, yeah. you don't have to come to the team. Chris surprised you with that one. But yeah, I think yeah. I think you answered it quite succinctly in um, our episode where we talk about how to get better. And you were, yeah. you just said instill a culture of competition within your own unit. Okay. Yeah. Add part times. Add a shot timer. Get guys working against each other. And I think some of that will naturally come through. I'm gonna blame it on that I only had two hours of sleep last night, <laughs> and I ended up spending Dude, all night watching Band of Brothers. A lot has happened today. Man. Yeah, you you've shaken a lot of hands, heard a lot of speeches, taken a lot of photos, spent sp- a lot of photos, spent a lot of time with family, and then now you're here with us degenerates recording this podcast. We're yeah. all frozen ninety degree weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been quite a day for you, Matt. But um, as we wrap up, um, I mentioned it before. Hard to sum up twenty years, but some of the sacrifices you've made time away from your family all around the globe um the 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 time and energy and passion that you've given to your marines and your commands um hard to really quantify at this point um some of the improvements that you've made overall to marine lethality to the sea uh to marksmanship in general Uh, i know there's you know there's marines that served with you back when you were a junior marine to now uh in your capacity as the staff and cyc of the team that will remember you uh, forever. So all that is to say, um, thank you for all you've done. Like really hard to encapsulate everything that you've influenced uh, over 20 years, but trying the best I can. Um, and I got to thank you personally. Um, you know, we, in here we mentioned like relationships. Um, I would not have met half the people that we've interviewed if it weren't for you. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the friendships that you forged in three gun tactical games, USPSA, and just the community in general really shine through in some of these interviews. Um, I'm meeting these people for the first time, but they treat me like a family just because they know you. You know, um, so this has really been life changing for me. Really, thank you for the opportunity, and I'm I'm glad we became friends. And I'm glad we're doing this together. At this point, is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with? Just find what matters find what matters to you the most and pursue that. Whether it's being with family, be true to your family. Whether it's being a competitive shooter, put your heart and soul into it. And whether it's, you know, building friendships, build the best friends. Um, be a real person, you know, be a real leader. Don't try and fake it because people can see through it. Um, you know, you really complimented me a lot. Um, 
I don't deserve it. You know, I think in some cases, I feel, you know, today at the ceremony, you know, a lot of people came and I, I felt really selfish for having so many people there just for me, you know. I'm honored that they're there, but it's been a wild ride. I'm really excited to experience the next side of life. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, it's, I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be over. Yeah, you sure are. Uh, if you're listening to this, please reach out to Matt. Congratulate him on a successful career, 20 years, um, now that he's transitioning to the civilian sector. And we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's something we've been working on for a long time. We really want to sit down and pick Matt's brain about some of the highlights and lessons from his career. So let us know how we're doing and leave us some feedback and hope you enjoyed this.